still got one man up and Jonathan Joseph comes straight through the middle. Got Mike Brown to beat as the last line of defence and here goes Joseph. Joseph's going to get over. Watson goes on the outside. Oh, Watson goes Hello and welcome to the Bath Rugby Plug, the rugby podcast by the fans, for the fans, plugging the boys in blue, black and white. My name is Gabriel and I'm joined as ever in the new year by my good friend and fellow Bath fan, Tom. Tom, happy new year. Happy new year, mate. Yeah, it's a new year, new Bath, I reckon. (laughs) New year, no Bath so far, certainly. (laughs) Yeah, do you have a, a nice a nice couple of weeks off from the podcast and a, a couple of weeks actually off from from watching Bath since since Fox? It's been relaxing, hasn't it? I think um, the well the blood pressure um, it w- would have come down, but I've um, I've been compensating with overeating and over drinking. Um, we we did both make it to the, the Boxing Day game after Christmas, which wasn't the nicest way to to celebrate the festivities as as we'll come on to. And then yeah, no no Bath on. On uh, in the midweek game on um, on on the third yesterday as we, as we record on Tuesday, which was which was disappointing because as we're both London based now, that was uh, that was the one that had been in the diary for for a long time, and we've been we've been fancying it for a while for our potential first win of the season, but but not to be. Yeah, that the the first win, um, the, the hope, the search for the first win does go on, Tom. Obviously, four games in the diary since our last podcast on the 15th of December. Only one of them played. We're going to talk about that game, uh, talk about the the games that cancelled, but an absolute plethora of news to also get to, Tom. Um, you know, probably one of our longer mid-season breaks in a while. So I guess apologies for that if you have been refreshing your feeds. I think we need a little bit of a, a refresh given the, the starts of the season that we've had. Um, so we're going to talk about all that news that we've we've missed, get you caught up on it, get some our opinions on it, some of the guys on social media's opinions on it. And then look ahead to, to Tom, what looks to me like a massive chance on, on Sunday when we host Worcester Warriors. Fingers crossed this one goes ahead and fingers crossed Bath can finally get that, that first win of the season. So thank you very much for listening. Um, that's what's to come on the podcast, but please do in the new year, subscribe, review and rate the podcast and I know before Christmas, I was asking to share it with a friend as a Christmas gift. Well, Valentine's Day is just about a month away. So an early Valentine's Day gift for your loved ones uh, of, of the podcast. Um, but thank you for listening. And, and, and Tom, let's get into all things blue, black and white. And Happy New Year and Merry Christmas, of course, to all you wonderful Bath Rugby listeners. Um, Tom, four games, as I mentioned, in the diary since our last podcast. Before we get on to the three that didn't happen, let's talk a little bit about the one that did happen. Um, and as you mentioned, both of us there on Boxing Day, um, along with a sellout Bath Rugby crowd, which I, th- I thought was impressive from Bath fans, given it is Boxing Day, the current state of the club, and also the Omicron surge that, that we've seen around the country. But Tom, what were your overarching feelings as you left the wreck on, on Boxing Day? Well, it was, it was another kind of abject performance. Um, you know, again, nothing, nothing particularly new or, or surprising. I mean, who would have thought it going into it? You know, us wilting defensively um, and at all the key moments, to be honest. 
against what was a you know a well drilled, well coached, well organised Gloucester side who, who identified our um, you know many areas of weaknesses weaknesses and, and exploited them exploited them really well. I guess you know it, it, it felt a little bit more disheartening. A because it's Gloucester and you know in, in the stands people have made the, the the forty mile or so trip across to to, to celebrate their their Christmases as as, as cherry and whites. Um, and, and, and you know they they were thoroughly smug and enjoying the game as 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 they should, but also because it was a packed house. You know I think it was fourteen thousand three hundred ninety or something, which is at capacity. And there was, as there often is pre-game, some genuine optimism. You know we would feel that a pretty strong side. We 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 did feel that this might be an opportunity to end the year on a high, albeit from a very very low bar, and 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 get and get that first win, but. We were just not at the races in, in so many areas. And in the end, we weren't even really close to, to making an impression on, on, um, on a Gloucester side that, to be honest, just bullied us for, for the whole 80 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think opposing directors of rugby and, and head coaches must look to when they've got Bath in the schedule and they probably book a couple of days off work because you mentioned that they identified our weaknesses, but but every area of our play at the moment, particularly our forward play and our defensive play, is a weakness. And yeah, it can't have taken George Givington long to to get that that um, more well drilled, and just to say do that a few times, and 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 this pathetic Bath side will just wilt like they have done all season. You know, uh, go on, Tom. Oh, I think you said on the day actually um, that you know Van Rensburg, who's who's come in, Brent Van Rensburg, who's come in as defence coach, his first game with the club, and he's only actually had two training sessions with with the players. He, he has got some some job on his hands. I don't know if he quite appreciated. I don't know if he quite appreciated the enormity of the task at hand, but he he he, he certainly will now, Jay. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like you probably get into the role, and, and and you know, like most people to start a new role, you're looking for some sort of handover, some sort of smooth handover to get into the the processes, and then you know, gradually over time, tweak those processes to to make the role better. There is nothing in place for Brent. He's come into an office with no one in it. And he's got to literally implement this mid-season, um, and that's going to be incredibly difficult. And 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 yeah, I, I, you know, he's got a good gig. He's a coach at Bath Rugby, but as as difficult a role as there probably is in in Premiership Rugby, given just how badly drilled that Bath team looked. Like as soon as Gloucester got any sort of quick ball, they were a complete mess out there. You know, we were in in you know in in the ground at the Thatcher's end sitting behind the the players. And I think it's a really good way of seeing just how badly Bath are drilled defensively because the gaps and the spacing and the, the way that they're aligned is just non-existent. And yeah, that was a theme of, of, of the night again. And Gloucester, six tries, 40 points, the, the largest deficit, uh, the largest defeat for Bath by Gloucester at the rack. Um, another record broken by Bath in this um, yeah, pathetic season. It's record-breaking season, and I think I think oh, yeah. you know you, you mentioned we were we were standing. G, let's you know let's not let's not overrate the pudding. We, we were we were standing behind the posts in the in the Thatcher stand, um, and and as you say, you do get a good view from that yeah, area. We were that active with some of the Bath pack though, given their yeah um, some of their performances. <laughs> well, the, the other the other good thing about standing there is that that's the that's the end of the ground that Bath warm up, and I thought. There are a couple of interesting things 
that I, I took from that. I mean, firstly, Van Rensburg, very, very vocal mm. for a guy that is two sessions in. He's certainly not gonna, you know, gonna die wanting. Um, and um, I, you know, in that, in that, in the defensive drills, if you want to call them drills, before the game, he was very much involved, very much in the thick of it, not observing as you might potentially expect for someone that's that's come in. And, and you're right, that's because there's no precedent. The the other interesting thing that I think we, we both noticed was Stuart Hooper. Obviously, we'll come on to his his new new role and the changes at, at the top end of the club. But he was he was non-existent really. He was kind of stood there like a bit of a ghost on the on the outskirts of the of where where the where the boys were training. And then, really interestingly, when they went back in for their you know the pre-match chats and and to g themselves up with Charlie Eels and Hatley etc. He stayed outside by the by the tunnel, didn't even go into the dressing room. And his main job was to organise the, the the boys and girls from the local rugby clubs so that the players could run up through the tunnel. And he made a bit of a mess of that. It yeah. wasn't the straightest kind of wasn't the straightest say that was poor that was poorly organised. The like yeah, the defensive yeah, lines so, of the boys and girls were, were forming was yeah, that was not joined either. Shark horror. A dog leg a dog a couple of dog legs there as well. Um, <laughs> well I think I think if that isn't if that isn't a pretty concrete sign that he is in fairly uncertain terms, uh, in fairly certain terms, headed for the, the boardroom and not for the not for the not for the not for the touchline in next season and going forwards, then I don't, I don't know what is. Yeah, I, I think it's got to a point where I, I think for the benefit of his career, he just needs to go. He's I just don't know what he's doing there really. Someone else can do the role that he's currently in with with the recruitment or whatever, but I think. His role, his presence is now no longer helping him, and it's not. I don't think it's helping the club. And you know, we're not going to win the title like Harlequins did. But we saw that Harlequins took a, 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 a tactic of kind of empowering the coaches that they had and empowering the senior players to kind of lead the squad. And I think that would be such a um, a better way to go for the rest of this season because you know I really don't know now what Hooper does and. I think Van Graan's going to get a pretty good idea and so is Ed Griffiths pretty quickly that this guy's probably dispensable and his presence is probably actually at this point, I think, doing more harm than good. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, when we, when we spoke about Van Graan coming in, I suggested at that point that I thought, you know, Van Graan hasn't got, his, got experience with the salary cap or working in England. But according to all reports around, you know, signings and, and rumours about the squad next year, Van Graan already seems to have a line into that and is 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 talking to players and, and trying to work out what his squad will look like next year. So I don't even think Hooper is involved in signings and, and retention but, anymore. So and, and as you like, say, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of difficult to see what his his role is. The only thing I, I, I can think of is that he's being lined up for a replacement for Tarquin McDonald or someone in the someone someone in the boardroom. Um, because otherwise, sorry. as you said, I don't know what his role would, would be. Sorry, Tom, this isn't some sort of mathematical genius or, you know, some guy that's got loads of experience running successful companies. This is a former club captain, Locke. Like, we can't, I don't think we can treat him like a guy that's going to step into a boardroom and, and do a fantastic job. This guy should be, in my view, boots on the ground and, or at least interact. Yeah, I mean, I, I, as I said, I just don't. See he's certainly, that. he's certainly got, he's certainly got the vocabulary to write the minutes for the board meetings. I, I, I'll say that, but yeah, I, I agree. I'll be interesting to see what he does. Maybe the best thing for him would be Definitely. to go to New Zealand, go to Australia, 
uh, South Africa, get some genuine coaching experience, put this down as a as as a failure. And I'm sure if he if he if he committed to doing that, you know, he's he's played at you know high level in the game. I'm sure if he actually went out and earned his strikes properly, he could be successful in in the game. But I don't see that as being on the touchline certainly for Bath. But anyway, we're getting we're getting well and truly sidetracked. Well, it's well, it's, it's been like nearly three weeks, mate. Although it's not as though we haven't been playing Bath rugby. It was, it was actually a, it was actually a bright start, wasn't it? I mean, obviously, well, bright, <laughs> bright, bright start. We we had the the uh, a cracking penalty kick after a couple of minutes from Orlando Bailey, and I think that's one of the big positives. The only positives really to take from the game is how well he's he's striking it and how well his place kicking's improved. There was some nice, not, again, same story as ever. There was some nice interplay between. The, the young young trio of Bailey, Ajomo and, and de Glanville and, and Ben Spencer as ever was was kind of pulling the strings quite nicely in that first 15-20 minutes. Gloucester looked likely a couple of times and Ben Spencer had that heroic interception kick and then tackle on Ollie Thorley to to, to you know he's one man band essentially for that 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 piece of defence. But then Gia a very stupid yellow card from from Tom Ellis killing the ball after a series of six bath penalties between 12 minute mark and the and, and the 20 minute mark Gloucester kick for the corner they they drive them all over we Lewis Boyce collapses it it's another yellow card so down to down to six six in the in the forward pack 13 overall and Gloucester get the the penalty try and and from that point and on around the 20 minute mark having also lost Sam Underhill to an HIA we just wilted and, and the floodgates the floodgates just opened for the remainder of that half. Yeah. No, that's spot on, Tom. That that was a you know it was a turning point in in, in the match and that that was the moment that Gloucester completely took control. But I'm not sure it, whether it was a turning point in terms of that changed the course of the match because I think probably that was the way the match was going to go anyway. You know, Bath could have had 18 forwards there. If there was soft and as badly coached as though the eight that were out there 18 isn't going to stop that Gloucester that Gloucester rolling ball as far as I'm concerned so yeah that that was key in 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 the way that the game turned from then but but I think that Gloucester fair play to them do look really well drilled in that mall area um you know I think that was always going to be a, a massive weapon on the game and and I think that maybe accelerated the the demise of Bath but I think that was probably always coming it's annoying though because, and it's a point that you've you've made repeatedly on this podcast. But we clearly are unable to defend the the rolling ball, mm. and when set up properly, it's a very difficult. It's very difficult to defend. I mean, Exeter has shown that over the, over not this season, <laughs> but over the past few seasons, we've even shown it in the past that it's a it's a it's a seriously effective weapon once you can get it going properly. So why on earth aren't we aren't we sticking anyone up? I mean, watching back the highlights a few minutes ago, um. We're just not competing, but it strikes me that that's the only way that we're going to stop them scoring is if we can somehow get the ball back. Stick both pods up for everyone. Get everyone up in the air because there's no point just there's no point just you know trying to trying to sack it or trying to drive it back because we're just we're just not cohesive enough to do that. So that was frustrating and it's something that we've never had an answer on the, the coaches have never been asked we've never had an answer on it and I, I just think it's the half again well. poor decision making poor coaching but that is the half compete that they've perfected this year it's the well we won't all stay on the ground and try and stop this a couple of us will not with a lifter but will jump up and try and like 
half disrupt it, obviously not do it, and then they're all in a bad position. Yeah, I mean, I've said I've banged that drum for years, but I don't know why they don't compete. I don't know. And I think the um, again watching the game back, the the image I think summed up our season and our respective seasons with Gloucester top four now quite well was Gloucester scored that fourth bonus point try just just I think before half time the final the final whistle went to, to end the half and there's sort of the, the camera the fixed camera from halfway line and you see all the Gloucester players kind of trotting off together really cohesive group running off into the into the dressing room despite being four tries to to, to nil up and Bath, by contrast, are trudging back in slowly, heads down in ones and twos. Look like some of them are bitching and moaning to to, to each other. Trudge back into the the dressing room, and it is. I, I just thought that was quite a nice picture of, of our season. Um, it's it, it, it's dire, and, and to the point that we've made on the last few podcasts, it really has got to the point now where it looks like the players don't really believe in 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 what in what's being said. So. Yeah, but changes yeah. are afoot. Changes are afoot. It can only get better from here. I, you know, it can only get better from here. Surely. Surely. Yeah. And it, 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 it didn't get a bit better. Maybe for the, the Worcester game. But surely it can only yeah. get better. Well, I think so. I think certainly, certainly long term. I mean, we, we, if there weren't changes now, announced by now, I think people would have got past the point of, of, of desperation. Um, so... Um, Tom, let's touch on the games then that didn't go ahead for Bath. And why don't I give kind of the details that we've got of these games so far? And then maybe you can give a couple of thoughts about the, you know, overall what this means for the season um, and, and what this means going forward. So the first one was the La Rochelle home game on the 18th of December. And this was p- postponed due to travel measures from England to France and France to England. Uh, implemented by the French government so the EPRC are looking to reschedule that one so that one's a TBC no points diggled out on that one the next one then Tom was Exeter Chiefs on the 29th of December this was a Premiership Rugby Cup game and this was cancelled by Bath due to a combination of Covid related absences and injuries meant that they were unable to field a 23 that had enough front row forwards Bath were unable to bring in players that they were confident were COVID-free from outside of the squad and obviously had played three days earlier and couldn't play the players that had started in that game. Now, Exeter have since been awarded a 28-0 win in this game as it was deemed by Premiership Rugby that it wasn't just the COVID issues that caused this cancellation. It was also factored heavily by injury absences for Bath and therefore Bath awarded no points. At that time, it looked as though the London Irish game was going to be unaffected, but then the London Irish game, the Premiership game, due to be played on the 3rd of January, yesterday as we record, was also cancelled, and this was due to further COVID-related issues. So this means that the Premiership rugby will now go away and decide whether COVID was the, the kind of main deciding factor, in which case it would be a four points to London Irish, two points to Bath split, or whether they still deem it to be a combination of COVID and injuries, in which case we may see five to London Irish and zero to Bath. So what are your thoughts then, um, kind of taking a wider picture on, on all that information? 
Well, yeah, you've, you've summed that up very well. I mean, for, firstly, for La Rochelle, the indication is that instead of there being a home and away fixture for the last 16, I think it is, or, yeah. or, or, or the quarterfinals, one of those two rounds, however this is very convoluted structure, there will only be a home, there will only be a single game rather than a home and away game. So then this this round, the round of fixtures that the council would potentially take place then. However, I get the impression that probably we're not at the end of COVID cancellations for that tournament. So what becomes of the Champions Cup, we, we don't know. And we were never that hopeful of progressing in it anyway. So looking at looking to, to the last two that were were cancelled. So yeah, I, I think with the three-day turnaround, as you, you mentioned, from Gloucester on the Sunday to Exeter on the Wednesday, it's plausible that the guys, the front rowers, which was the position group that was identified that, that we couldn't fill. So Lewis Boyce, Tom Dunn, Will Stewart, both played the vast majority of the game. So I think both played over an hour. So just checking, yeah, both played around an hour or more of, of that game. So, I mean, they're not going to be able to turn around to play Exeter on the Wednesday and then play London Irish again on the, the following Monday. So I think probably at that point, assuming that there are a couple of close contact COVID um, ex- exposures or COVID cases with the other guys involved in the front row, so after Caldwell, Yanis Yonka, Darcy Ray, etc., they probably took the view at that point in time that we won't be able to fulfil the Premiership Cup game, which is obviously the less important competition to, that, that they were involved in. And the, the hope at that point was that we probably would then, as you say, play the, the London Irish game on Monday. Now, hopefully from a Bath point of view, what has happened is that in the meantime, more COVID cases or COVID close contacts has, have, have come to light, which would mean that it's not an injury issue, it's a COVID issue, and we will get that those those two points oh, and, increase our, and, and increase our total tally by 50% from, from four to six. However, if if it's if Premiership rugby, as you say, go and find that it's 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 injuries as well, then 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 we won't get either either point. So I I I, I get the sense it won't quite be the same for for Exeter, but but yeah, I mean we, we won't know more until until Premiership rugby have looked into it. Yeah, and I think of course the the primary concern with all things at the moment is that all of the the players that have got coronavirus. Yeah. Are okay. I should have said that. You've made me look bad there. Why? <laughs> <laughs> like, every, you know, everyone and their family's health is more important. That goes without saying. But it's also so disappointing, isn't it, for, for supporters around the Christmas time? You know, we had tickets to, to both those games that were cancelled, the La Rochelle game as well. I'm sure there are people that maybe had tickets to all three games. Um, and especially with Bath. In, in the predicament they're in, getting two points here and no points there, it really doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, you just want to go and have fun and watch your team play rugby. So, yeah, hugely, you know, hugely disappointing. Tom, if I'm going to put a positive spin on it, you know, maybe Brent has had a bit more time with his defence. Maybe he's going to implement a structure with these players, be that on Zoom or on the field. But um, yeah, maybe we'll see a more cohesive bath with, with the players that, that he's been able to get his, his, well, maybe not his hands on, but we don't really want to get his hands on them because that's how you spread it. But yeah, getting 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 these guys on the field and, and maybe we'll see a more cohesive performance against Worcester. That's the best I can do. That's the best I've got. Good effort, good effort. Thank you. And maybe, Tom, something good that's come out of this is, obviously, as you say, front row was identified as as a, a position of, of 
of need. And Bath have then since strengthened their front row resources, um, announced that Valerie Morosov has joined the club on the 29th of December and has begun training um, and will cover the loose head position until the end of the season. So I believe your text to me read yum yum when you saw this news. Would you like to expand on that? <laughs> well, I remember playing. I think played a couple of seasons at Sale, and I was. Um, I think I used to say to you at the time, I was always, always, always impressed by him. I mean, he's a he's an unbelievable specimen for a start, which you know I always like to see, kind of in the mold of of Max Laheef, but. Hopefully, hopefully a, a slightly a slightly better scrummager and, and slightly less ill-disciplined. Um, but um, no, being being harsh, Maxley. But I mean, he's a, he, he, he looks to be a strong scrummager. I mean, you don't play thirty-seven times for uh, a club, a Steve Diamond-led outfit over two seasons without being able to hold your own at, at scrum time. You know, he, he's he's capped for Russia fifteen times, and I was looking at some of the previous games that he's been playing. And he's been consistently over the last year or so putting in 80-minute shifts. So that that kind of physique, I think, clearly translates into, into 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 a bit of an engine. So I think I think this is a really good and and astute signing. It's someone with Premiership experience who's 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 played in the league and understands the the demands of, of the Premiership and will have played against all the the sides that that Bath will 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 come up again. And 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 for me, he he comes in. Straight away, I think, or as soon as he's up to speed on the the lack of systems and processes that we have in place, as soon as he's up to speed on all those, we he should come in in that sort of rotating role one and one and seventeen with with Lewis Boyce, given that given that Ben O'Bano away, you know our other loose heads have have struggled to date. To be honest, I mean Jaron Schumann, uh, you know, as kind of we know what we know what he offers, and the younger guys after call were Will Vaughan. They haven't played much, and when they have, they 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 look to a struggle with scrum time as well. So good signing for me, and and I'm I'm excited to I'm excited excited to see him see see him getting out there. Yeah, I I really do think that he's going to be pushing Lewis Boyce for that starting starting one shirt, who I don't think is necessarily kicked on as as you would have liked and you thought maybe at the start of the season. And yeah, it's a massive area of concern, and and I I, I think it's a great signing. I think it should be longer than the end of the season. He's only 27 years of age. A prop should be coming into his prime at 27 years of age. So I'm you're coming into your prime as a prop about now 27 years of age. Um, so yeah, he he should be there for longer. And I just think, why wasn't this the sort of guy we were going to get at the start of the season when we were clearly in dire need of bolstering those areas? And this is a much better signing than Juan Schumann. And... I think he should be sticking around and I'm really I'm also excited to see him in a bath shirt. He's there now. Will he play against Worcester? He might do. Yeah, agree. He might do. Um Tom, another good bit of, of, of news around the, the Christmas time for Bath fans, another Christmas gift, I think we both see it as, was that Ed Griffiths. Remember him? The short term consultant from Saracens has played this so well he is now the chairman of bath rugby from um a month's short-term consultancy to chairman um in yeah in just about six weeks is an incredible power play from griffiths obviously replacing bruce craig the owner and previous chairman as of the first of january 
Tom, what was your thoughts on this news? I just imagine him going into the, the boardroom to talk to, you know, I don't know why I keep saying boardroom. It's not The Apprentice, <laughs> but going, going, with it. going into the boardroom with Parker McDonald and James Dyson would have been there um, and, and Bruce Craig, obviously, with this kind of sheet of paper, you know, sign here at the bottom, a few bullet points, appoint a defence coach, in, improve the physiotherapy blah, 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 to, to, um, to, to stop injuries happening so often. And then just very small text, the very small bullet point, size one, appoint me as chairman of the club. And you just really <laughs> great just signing it, giving it back to him. And he's, he's laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, but yeah, some power players, you say, appointing yourself chairman. But, you know, I think arguably, arguably, it's, it's, it's the biggest announcement to date. I think as... As fans, it's impossible really to know what goes on behind closed doors and in those in those board of directors meetings. But it, I think it's fair to say it's, it's widely understood that Bruce Craig has liked to be very involved in rugby-related decisions in his 11-year tenure at, at the club as, as chairman. And I think as I think Bruce Craig made his money in in the pharmaceuticals industry, so clearly from a business point of view that's not the most sensible decision making structure to, to to have in place Ed Griffiths on the other hand his CV is you know very very orientated around sports and 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 sporting success so Saracen's chief executive between 08 and 15 as as we know and and they won two titles during that time and reached the, the final four times but he's also been involved as chief executive again so the big cheese with South Africa in the, when they won the World Cup back in 1995. And he's also had roles with Middlesex County Cricket Club and Worcester, where I guess you could argue it's probably been a less successful impact given how, how those respective teams have, 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 have been getting on. But I mean, he's, I, I, think, I think it's a really good appointment. He, he clearly, clearly knows what he's doing. And I, I think he'll bring an actual specialised sport and rugby knowledge that, to be honest, has, has, has probably probably been lacking. Yeah, and I think the, the real question comes as to the ramifications of this, this Griffiths power play, Tom. You say that he was the chief executive and therefore the big cheese at, um, at Worcester, was Saracen. it? At Saracens. And um, South Africa, yeah. And South Africa. He's not the chief executive of Bath, though. Chief executive remains Tarquin McDonald. And so... What is his role in all of this? And a lot of people on Twitter, George Winton, Tom Scriven, uh, lots of people getting in touch with us saying this has to spell the end for for Tarquin McDonald. And and what is it? What 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 does his future look like? And how will that how will that all play out with Craig McDonald, Griffiths, Van Gran, Hooper, all in this 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 boardroom that I'm imagining them in, um, thanks to your description and. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how 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 that plays out. I, it's difficult to know without being in that boardroom the the specific responsibilities, but I do think that he's going to want to come in, get an idea of this structure, and then probably look to to to, to make it more efficient as what he probably did in his previous role. Yeah, it would be interesting to know, see if we could find out if most clubs would have a have a separate chairman and a separate CEO, because I mean. It's kind of. It, it, I would. I would. I would infer that 
chief executive is kind of more of a day-to-day role where you're involved a little bit more in in, yeah. in the detail and 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 kind of goings on with stuff like stadium for bath whereas chairman would be kind of a more strategic go to the meetings lead the overall direction but you're not day-to-day going into the office but that may not that may not be the case i think that probably is the case in a lot of clubs but it will that be the case with with ed griffiths I think that that remains to be seen, and, and Griffiths is ultimately coming in here as Tarquin's boss. So yeah, that that dynamic, I think, it's yeah. absolutely fascinating to to watch. And also, what does it mean, Tom, for for Bruce Craig's future? In the statement, he said that he will continue to support the club emotionally and financially, and do whatever I can for the club to be successful. Is that going to be a long term ploy for Craig? Or will the rumours surrounding a takeover, you know, obviously alleged rumours at this point, are they something that that will now take further, um, you know, gain further speed, do you think? Yeah, it's hard to know. It does feel like stepping away as chairman is the first step from stepping away from the club. You know, I don't, you know, from what we hear of Bruce Craig's character, it seems like he does like control and he does like to be be involved in decision-making, which obviously he, he, he won't be any longer. So whether this will coincide with a change in ownership and, as you mentioned, James James Dyson, who, who whose company is recruiting very, very heavily and building factories in the in the southwest of England, it might seem sensible that he would he would take it on as, as main sponsor currently, obviously. I, I don't really know. Um I don't think it matters hugely if they're if they're if you know if they're not in the boardroom. I mean, we're not going to have any problems with either of them meeting the salary cap or or funding things like the stadium for Bath redevelopment because both of them have got very very deep pockets. What what I would say on on, on Craig is he does cop a lot of stick, and maybe some of that's you know fair, but we we should give him huge credit and thanks for kind of his financial support, particularly over the last couple of years, you know, during during COVID times, he's consistently run the club at a loss. Probably, you know, not huge change in, in the context of his his overall wealth, but he has he has he has put money into it in that time, building Farley House, signing some very exciting players along the way as well. And and it, you know, we there have been some some good times along the way, but 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 simply sim- simply not enough. So change changes changes right. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think he built Farley House for Bath, but yeah, they obviously get the use of those incredible facilities. And I would, I he's would paying for it, though, isn't it? Yeah, of course he's paying for it, and it's it's his it's yeah. his house effectively. So I would worry as 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 what um what would, what would happen with that down the line. And and from my point of view, you know, I'm I'm more than happy with Craig as uh, supporting the club emotionally. And and yeah, I think he, he does deserve credit for, for that. I think that's really well said, Tom. Um, one thing that may, maybe Tarquin will be mainly responsible for, and that's the stadium for Bath news that also came out in this break between podcasts, Tom. Now, my speciality is more rucks, malls and Bath and, and backs moves as opposed to court of appeal rulings. Um, so maybe, maybe I'll hand this one over to you. But um, yeah, the Court of Appeal ruled that the 1922 Covenant, thought to be a barrier to redeveloping the wreck, is not enforceable. Described by the club as a significant step, allowing them to focus on the redevelopment plans. Tom, I hope you've been brushing up on your, um, on your development law. Uh, what can you fill us in with? 
Oh, you do yourself a disservice because I mean you've 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 just covered all the notes that I had. I had pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah, not, not probably not the finest legal mind either. So I I, I don't I don't know the details, but <laughs> as you can tell, but essentially, uh, you know, it's been reported that that will allow us to basically resume work on design proposals in the new year. Those have been put on hold whilst these kind of legal wranglings about this age-old act or whatever it is, law, were, were, were taking place. So that's that been nice. ruled in favour, which means that, well, it, it was said that in the new year, so hopefully as of the last couple of days, we've been able to start work again on those design proposals in good faith that we're not wasting money on something that's that's not gonna not gonna go through. We've we've spoken about Stadium for Bath before, but uh, as we know, it's kind of centered around redeveloping the wreck and the area just out just outside it, notably kind of removing that temporary side of the the the, the stadium, making that permanent and also increasing capacity by by around a third. So some pretty some pretty big changes to the ground and also the surrounding area, making that area by the riverside much nicer and and kind of an area to 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 go to pre-game and making it more accessible by by car and also being able to have sports played all year round on the pitch or the cricket pitch kind of area behind the behind the temporary stand. So yeah, if you, if you haven't haven't kind of seen that that sort of stuff, then 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 Google it and have a look at the plans. It, it, it looks quite 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 exciting and good news, obviously, for our long term future in the centre of Bath. That 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 hurdle has been has been has been crossed. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, obviously, both of us massively pro redevelopment of the wreck. Going to the Bath on Boxing Day, you know, it just re-establishes everything that you think about the club in terms of the location of the of, of the ground and, and the beauty of that location, but also perhaps the the need for increased or um, better, for want of a better word, yes. facilities in the actual ground. And, and, and if they can achieve both of those things, um, then perfect. And, and, and they step. 12 losses on the bounce. You could, I, I would take 30 probably. 35 losses on the bounce to, not to be not to be winning up in Coventry or at the oh, AJ yeah. so this, this this is the the you know the real heart of our of our club is you know one of the best things about our club is that we we pack out a boxing day wreck in the centre of Bath when most clubs can't nearly fill their stadiums week to week let alone on on a boxing day during Covid time so it's one of the best things about the, the club and we should, we should, we should, you know, we should be really happy that this is, this is moving in, in the right direction because it would feel a lot bleaker if we were now, along with what's going on, faced with the prospect of, of, of having to move out, out of Bath. Yeah. If you, you know, if, if you want the stadium moved out of Bath, go spend a, a trip uh, to Coventry to, uh, to watch Wasps play. Um, I think we went there on the, the, the most, sold game or the highest attended game ever and even then it was you know barely half full so they're definitely struggling with some of their attendances this season and having having the wreck is is a massive massive part of being a Bath fan um Tom what's been a massive part of being a Bath fan for the last eight years is cheering Anthony Watson down the wing 
A report in the Telegraph, however, has said he has made up his mind to leave at the end of the season, that he hasn't exercised a clause in his contract on the 31st of December, which would have automatically renewed it. Less good news, do you think? Eight years, 126 appearances for Bath. What were your thoughts when you saw this one drop? Obviously, nothing confirmed by the club at this stage, a Telegraph report. But it yeah, looks like today reported as well that he's he started contract talks with with its rumored wasps. So it, it does look like there is there is some kind of credence to, to the rumor, albeit a similar you know story was released about Jonathan Joseph and he then he he, he then resigned. So kind of you know it's it's still rumor at, at this stage. I think I'm I'm really I'm really conflicted on this. It's the old kind of heart and the head problem, really, because you know, from the heart, you know, as you say, he joined us in 2013 when he was only 19. He was still playing for the England under 20s at, at that point. And he was showing he was showing incredible talent and promise at that stage. And you might remember that, you know, some raised eyebrows when he started to become favoured at fullback to Bath legend Nick Abenderman. And it was it was felt that was quite early to, to be doing that. Abenderman was still playing, playing very well. And, and he, he took that position and made it his own. And he's had some incredible moments for, for Bath over the years. He was dynamite in that 2014-15 side under under Mike Ford. He scored the winner in that first clash game at, at, at Twickenham. He, as you'll hear at the beginning of this podcast, went magnificently round the outside at the wreck against against Toulouse. And, and personally, you know, he's he's been one of my favourite players over that time. And it's given me, it genuinely has given me a massive sense of pride seeing him go from that to represent England over 50 times to be a six-cap Lion player. And I, I've just got an incredible, incredible soft spoke for the bloke. And that won't, if he does make the decision to leave, I will not blame him. He, he, has, to, he has to, you know, make money while he can in, in, his, in, his, in his short career, particularly with the injuries he's, he's got. And I'll, I'll still continue to be a huge Anthony Watson fan if, if, if he does go. But leaving all that kind of emotion aside, I can I can begin to see why it, it makes sense from a salary cap point of view. I mean, for, for those listeners who, who, who don't know, so from next season, the salary cap will be reduced from 6.4 million to 5 million. So a, a big cut in the, the salary cap. And also, you will only be able to have one marquee player outside of that salary cap rather than two, uh, as it is currently. And kind of it's understood that Anthony Watson is, is one of those marquee players so with Tolupi Falatau leaving as, 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 as potentially the other, he would have to be probably that marquee player or taking up a pretty sizable chunk of that, of that five million. And when you look from a pure kind of money ball, you know, return on investment point of view, I saw a tweet from Robert Barkley who, 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 who had worked out that he averages nine games Per season and averages and averages two point five tries per season. Now, when you have to tighten your belt and he's been injured, he's going to continue to play for England for the foreseeable future. Is he worth the the high salary that 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 he's probably asking for? And I don't know what the answer is to that, but I can. I can I can I can see the argument, Jay. I can see the argument for it as painful yeah. as it is. No, you know what the answer is, but I'm, I still don't want it to happen. 
still want him to. Re- I still want him to resign. I still, if I want him to onto Twitter in the morning and the news was either Watson leaves or Watson signs a massive contract extension, I know which one makes me happier. And I know I can understand the logic. I can, of course, I can understand that. You know, a, a side bottom of the table is a, a winger, an expensive international winger, the piece they really need to rebuild. Almost certainly not. But I just love Anthony Watson so much. And to see him in another Premiership's colours you know, would, would be massive. Yeah, it's a hard thing. Take. Yeah. I, I just don't want that. The, the other aspect of it, of course, is that if you look across our squads, back three is, it probably is, I mean, we can make an argument for back row, but back three is probably the strongest position group that we have. You know, Darren Atkins, Joe Thocken, Asiga, Tom de Glanville, Gabe Hammerweb, Roy McConaughey, Will Muir, Samantha Rocket. So it's, 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 it's pretty strong. And it, it feels like with with Johan van Graan coming in and you know his his style of play looking at Munster is very much get big blokes running hard, get a, a big centre, a big pack, and and bully teams. And it we don't have a squad to do that, particularly in the pack, as you say. And so from from his style of play, you know, from from the perspective of his style of play, it doesn't seem like Anthony Watson, as sad as it is, is a player that he will want to be spending big money on. But we'll see. And, and the, the wider, I understand the logic, but I still don't. The wider point that annoys me, and it's a bit of a rant this, but part of me just thinks the market for player wages cannot be functioning efficiently when a player like Anthony Watson doesn't represent value anymore. And I, obviously, the reason that it's happening is because international players, despite being away for 30, even 40% of the season at times, despite being more prone to injury because they're playing more rugby they are still asking to be paid more than players who play all season rounds. And that clearly just can't work as a, as a market dynamic, but clubs continue to pay, to pay into pay for international talent. Yeah. And of course they, they will get the rebate back from the RFU on, on, on certain elements of that contract and the more they pay for England. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, probably, probably not, probably not to the degree that he's, well, maybe, um, not. yeah, maybe not. As in, if you look at it on a per game basis, he's you know, or even a no, per yeah, try. No, you're right, and I think the element with Watson is probably more the injuries than the than the the internationals. But yeah, but I, I completely understand that, and and yeah, as I said, I I understand the <clears throat> the logical view of of this, and you know, a lot of people on Twitter are certainly taking that view. But but I yeah, uh, I mean, I'm gonna have to redo the bloody intro. Which is another massive fact because uh, Joseph doesn't sound like he's going to be sticking around. <laughs> Watson, Watson looks like he might be off. Rocket Goonie's well past his best, so we lost we lost Dave Atwood and his titanium yeah. shoulders. Uh, Got that couple, one out. Of, of <laughs> so just have to be straight straight in straight into it, mate. Straight into Rocket Goonie. Yeah, yeah. That is um, probably going to be my task for the off season, isn't it? To to get a new intro. Um, yeah. And I, I think we last point on this, but we we mentioned this earlier a little bit, and I think we're probably going to see, and we probably should see, given how poor the season has been, some fairly significant changes in our squad makeup at the higher end of the of you know of the of the pay scale. So Toby Falatau, we know, is moving back to Cardiff. If these Anthony Watson rumours are true, that's probably the you know the two as we understand it, the two marquee guys currently. Jonathan Joseph will be a, another another highly paid guy 
it's understood that he might be moving to Sale to replace Van Rensburg, who's looking to move back to back to back to South Africa. Danny Cipriani, I mean, I think we're all fully expecting that he won't remain at the club after after this season. He'll he'll be on a decent wedge. And the final guy is Ben Urbano, who was linked with Saracens. Obviously, we really, really, really hope that that is not the case. And Mako Vunapola re-signing for Saracens was was a great early Christmas present for me, certainly, because hopefully that makes that less likely. But either way, I mean, those are those are four guys at least who are probably taking up some fairly sizable cap space who are going to be moving on. And I think Van Gran is probably going to look to bring in five or six potentially players in in their stead to 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 bolster the squad. And I think the, there'll be there'll be there'll be different type of players. So I imagine him to bring in you know I can imagine him bringing in a big gnarly second row potentially to fill that mar- marquee spot. So. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone like Evan Etzebeth fancies a break from international rugby or, or, or something like that. And then and then someone at number eight potentially as well, uh, whether or not Jasper Visa has a has a twin back in South Africa, a couple of front rowers, a big centre along the kind of mould of Andre Esterhazen at, at, at Quinn's. So I think, you know, this time next year, we'll probably be looking at quite a different team, which is exciting, but we're also putting a lot of faith that Van Graan knows, knows, knows how to turn this around. Yeah, big gnarly second row. God, do I want one of those? Oh, does that pack miss a proper second row? Yeah, yeah, that that would be really, really good and and useful. Tom, as we turn our attention to the wreck on Sunday, um, surely vast most winnable game of the season as we host Worcester Warriors. Hopefully, of course, hope Worcester Warriors. Hopefully, the the COVID cases at Bath have all cleared up at this point, and Worcester themselves. Um, don't uh, their, their women's game was cancelled against Harlequins that was due to take place on Sunday was cancelled today but hopefully that doesn't affect the men's in any way and hopefully as I say many times this game goes ahead because Tom I think this is the opportunity to get the victory Bath are actually four point favourites with the bookies um, which yeah it doesn't doesn't seem quite right to me if I was taking a um, a, a cold look at this but but yeah, I've I've got a feeling, Tom, it's going to turn around on Sunday. Well, at least we'll get a win. This has to be a win, most winnable game of the season, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's the most winnable game of the season. The second weakest side, I would I would I would say, even though they're not, you know, they're not they're not just above us. Bristol Brist occupy that spot um, happily. But I, you know, I always look for I always look for positives at this 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 time of the podcast. And on Sunday, it'll be two hundred and twelve days since. Bath got a victory against against Northampton Saints in the in the last game of of of, of last season. However, I saw a statistic, and I don't even know if this is true. I haven't fact checked it because I'm I'm so happy with it. Worcester have not won at home, sit have not won away from home. Sorry, since September 2020, which is <laughs> 460 days. So, so I mean. What we're we saying, they, they're, they're gonna they're their gonna, record. Their, their record's even worse worse than ours. Jesus is, is is what I'm saying. But no, this 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 has to be the one. It 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 really does. And come on, uh, I, I don't know how to break. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how to break it down. To be honest, I mean, Worcester had a had a week off last week, so potentially whether or not they'll be a little bit fresher. Well, I, I don't know. Put, but, put this into perspective, Tom. Okay, to put into perspective Worcester's struggles this season, 
They've conceded 403 points this season. Bath, the team that we complain about every week, the team that doesn't have a defence coach, have only conceded 337. So oh, they must be bad defensively. They are bad defensively. Teams run wild against them. Saracen scored 69 against them the, the week before their bye. Mm. Judge and Chudley are featuring heavily. The same guys that we watched for Bath at the back end of last season. I, I, I really do think we've, we, we, we've got a chance of winning this. And <clears throat> I, I don't really want to live in a world, Tom, where, where we can't beat Worcester, this Worcester team at home. That would be the lowest of the lows. Yeah. Go on then. What, what's yeah, I mean, your prediction? I was just looking. They do tend to. They do quite like scoring. I mean, often, often they get when they get thirty points, the opposition gets fifty. Um, <laughs> but they, they, they've. I mean, they've. I guess they got some half decent, decent guys. Ollie Lawrence is a good, good operator, isn't he? But I mean, and Ted Hill, obviously. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it, it's a judge. It's a, it's a judge Garvey. Chudley Garvey. or of ex-Bath ex players. Yeah, Matt Garvey's at, at Worcester. So, you know, ex-Bath players do have a funny way of, of performing against against their old club. But yeah, I, you've got to fancy it. We, we, we've got to fancy it. I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that Sam Underhill will be, will be fit and firing because that, that back row started to look a little bit ropey when we've had Mike Williams and Tom Ellis in, in the respective flankers shirts with Josh Bayliss and Miles Reed still away. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed he's back. But it, 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 it shouldn't matter. Yeah, I'll, I'll go I'll go bath win and I'm gonna I think I think I think we'll win by nine. By nine? We're gonna get a, a yeah. five five four try bonus point. Go on then. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Yeah, I think Spencer's Spencer's influence is you know is key in this game. Hopefully, he he's going to be enough to kind of drag those younger guys with him, and and hopefully Worcester's pack is is equally as soft as Bath pack. And and yeah, I, I do think we can win it. Maybe not by nine, maybe around the five six mark. But um, wouldn't it be great to see us score some tries and win a game of rugby? Wouldn't that just be bloody great? Start 2022 as we as we as we mean to go on, because if we don't, you know, just having a look at the the upcoming fixtures, yeah, we've obviously got Leinster, Leinster, La Rochelle, then it's Quinns, Saracens, Leicester. So, you know, the the way the way will probably go on if we don't get it on Sunday. Um, well, thank you very much for for waiting for this podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. As I said at the start, please do share it around with your mates. Follow us on Twitter at Bath Rugby Plug. Tom, thank you for joining me. We'll be back in our usual spot of either Monday or Tuesday throughout the rest of the season and going forward into 2022. So thanks for listening and stick behind the boys. Win or loss on Sunday, believe it or not, through thick and thin.